Calvary. By God's word, alas, my sin I learned. And I trembled at the law I stirred. Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. And your grace was free. May your pardon multiply to me. May my burden so found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given Jesus everything. Now I gladly own it. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Lose all the guilty stains. 
Bibles will go to Matthew chapter 6. Last week I started the service by telling you guys that there's a state mentioned in the Bible. You remember that? Noah looked out of the ark and saw. All right, just for those of you who are visiting, I'm a Razorback fan. So any reference to Arkansas that I see in the Bible, I'm happy to share. Well, after the service, my wife said, "Hun, um, I've heard that before. And she said, you know, um, there's an addition to that, that when Noah looked out of the ark, he saw a little rock. <laughs> I mean, you know, but anyway. But then I had a friend who was a friend, <laughs> um, 
he said that um, when Noah looked out of the ark and saw, he saw the tide rolling in. (laughs) We should pray and go home on that one, right? We do need to pray. This is a, a very serious subject and one that um, demands some attention on our part. And so let's ask the Spirit of God to, to lead us. So Lord, every word that you have given to us, we should consider. And uh, although this particular text maybe we've read before, I pray that we would consider it today. That we would leave this place contemplating the question, where is our treasure? Because as you were speaking to your disciples, you wanted them to think through that. And as time marched on, and as you went through the cross, and as you rose from the grave, And as you gave the commission to the disciples, and as you ascended to the Father, what we see in their lives is a testament to the fact they got it. The treasure for them was you. And Lord, I pray that we would truly consider that today as we live in a world that is so concerned about possessions and money and things that quite frankly don't last. And so I pray that you would help us today to consider for us, what is the most important? Where is our treasure? We give you this time in the name of Christ. Amen. Growing up in Louisiana, um, our house was, um, there aren't basements in Louisiana. Um, I think you know why. Um, there's a lot of water in Louisiana. And um, so I tell you that because when I was living at home, um, you know, if you wanted to come into the house, it was pretty easy accessible. You just walk through the window because <laughs> they're right there. And um, so uh, even though you would lock your window, maybe uh, it was easy access for anyone who might want to come in and burglarize your home. And so I was um, back home for the summer. I think I was... 18 years old, and um, my most valued treasure at that time was my wallet. A teenager, that's probably a lot true. Now, back in when I was growing up, um, my dad considered an allowance to be a dollar, um, a dollar, right? And I, uh, the allowance he gave wasn't necessarily for um, the chores that he expected us to do around the house, but extra. But nonetheless, as a college student, I didn't have much money, but the money I had, I valued and um, I was um, in my room, and I was sound asleep, and my pants were laying over a chair. And um, uh, the next morning, I got up, and my pants were laying over the chair, but my wallet was gone. And come to find out, somebody had broken into our home. Long story short, and they walked in, and they took my wallet. They took what was most valuable to me at the time. It had my driver's license in it, which for a teenager is a very big deal. It had my social security card in it. And that just meant I was going to have to order another one, right? So the inconvenience was there. 
They took what I treasured the most at that time in my life. Um, and as time's marched on, and as I've gotten older, that wallet or that purse still has value or treasure. Whether you're a man or a woman, you look at, as a man, you look at your wallet and it's valuable. I mean, how many times have you misplaced your wallet, men, and been in a panic, Right? And your wives know all about the panic because you're yelling through the house, where's my wallet, right? And then if the purse is lost, the same thing's going on. But isn't it amazing that two objects like that are the centerpiece of our culture? And so much of what is valued is in that little purse or in that little wallet. And yet, guys, as much as that's valued, Second Peter, Peter writes... Everything that we have is going to burn up one day. Now, I'm not telling you that having the wallet and having the money, there's nothing wrong with having it. It's just that it's not the most valuable thing. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we need to be reminded about that issue. What is the most valuable thing to us? And so as I'm writing this paper, I come to verse 21 of Matthew 6. And it's a very short verse, but it's very profound. And there's a lot to consider in that verse and then in the two previous verses. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, where is your treasure? That's the question that comes from that statement. What do you value the most, right? You have to consider that question when you look at the statement because this is the concluding statement to verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The treasure of this world, you think about the world today, what do men value today in the world? They value their possessions. They value what they have. And we can see that reflected in our culture. We see it. It's, it's out there for us to see. Money is valued. Possessions are valued. It, it's, it's this, I mean, there are a lot of uh, get-rich-quick, what I call schemes in this culture. There are many lures out there, right? And, you know, that comes ultimately from the enemy, Now, we need things, but God has promised to meet our what? He's promised to meet our needs, right? And we even have beyond that, right? We have way beyond the needs that God has promised to provide for us. We live in a very affluent culture. We have much. But what Jesus is telling his disciples here is profound because he says, where your treasure is where your value is, where your eyes are, where your energy is, where your time is. That's what he's telling them. Where your time, your effort, your energies are, there will your heart be also. So it demands the question for us, where is our time? What about our time? What about our effort? What about our energies? Uh, Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, 
in eternity said this, show me your checkbook, your credit card statement, and your cash receipts, and I'll show you where your heart is. I guess we don't want to walk away with the wrong impression. Um, The Lord provides for us. We have money, but it's what we do with that. It's what we do with the possessions that we have, right? Because we're to be good stewards of what God gives us. And I'm sure every one of us in this room could say at one point in time, whether in the past or present, we've needed to work on that issue of stewardship. Because everything that we have comes from the Lord. He's the one that provides for us. And so as we come to this passage, we have to consider where is our treasure. Now just before that, before he makes that concluding statement in verse 21, there are two things that he tells the disciples and their commands. And the first is found in verse 19. Notice what he says. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Now, if you're going to lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, that takes time. That takes energy. That takes effort on your part. You know, when I was a little boy, one of the other treasures that I had besides my wallet, even before I had a wallet and money in the wallet, was baseball cards. I collected baseball and football cards. Any of you guys collected cards, right? And so I had those cards, and I collected those cards. I had the Cincinnati Reds, right? The big red machine, they were called back in the 1970s. I had all those cards. I mean, I'm a huge cowboy fan. I had all the cards. Back in those days, before free agency and everything went crazy, you could actually memorize the team. And I had all those cards, right? And as a little boy, I mean, it was like a big treasure for me. And, and I would take those cards and I would sto- store those cards in a box. And um, when I got older, I'd left my cards at the house and I remember going back one time and I said, Mom, I'm looking for the box with all of my cards in them. And she said, Honey, you had a few boxes in your room, but, but I threw those out. They didn't look that important. But they were important to me. They were treasures to me, right? When, when, when kids are little, they, they value different things. But as we get older, and specifically as we get older in the Lord, we have to consider what we value and where that priority is. And Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth. Why? Because this place is temporary. Guys, this is not our home. Right? It's not our home. What does Paul tell us in Philippians chapter 3? Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. Say, so you know what? If we're citizens of heaven, now follow me, if we're citizens of heaven, then we need to live like we're citizens of heaven. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy. All right, so when I was living in the Northeast, one of the things that I saw was rust-destroying cars. When I lived in the Northeast, my wife and I lived up there for five years, and um, it was the winter wonderland. You remember back in, was it 94 when the blizzard came through and here in Alabama, and you guys got a couple of feet of snow, and everybody was like, whoa, you know. 
we were getting four and five feet of snow, right, with drifts six to eight feet. That's snow, okay? And as, as, as you're up there, one of the things that you have to get used to is these things called salt trucks, right? And, and, and you like them because it enables you to get around. And while that's great, and salt is great because it's, it allows you to be able to get around and move around, and you're not stuck in a house for a week like you are here, one of the detriments is that that salt, right, works against your vehicle. And you will literally drive around towns up there, and, and you'll look at the bottom, the undercarriage of vehicles, and you'll see rust upon rust upon rust upon rust. Because what rust does what? It destroys. And Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy (laughs) and where thieves break in and steal, right? Because there's a potential, right? I can value something and and I can hoard that and I can put it away and nobody's going to get that. And then one day there's a burglary and it's gone. And what happens? It's gone. That's what happens. It's gone. Whatever it is that you valued, it's gone. And so Jesus tells his disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, look at verse 20, but. In contrast, all right? Now, if we backed up for a second and made this comment, verse 19, we could say this. In our current culture, people collect things, right? They collect money, they have possessions, and they value those possessions, and those possessions are, are, are up here in their life and up here in their mind, and that's where their thoughts are. But Jesus says to his disciples in contrast, in contrast to this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. What does it mean to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? How does that even look? We have uh, missionaries um, that have been missionaries uh, for a long time in the Philippines. And not long ago, one of the projects that they've had over the years has been to translate the Bible into the, to the people's language. And um, that took years to do that. And it was shared with me not long ago that in order for them to be able to produce those Bibles, they need thousands and thousands of dollars. And I thought, you know what? One of the greatest investments that we could make as a body of believers is to invest with them in that. That's the idea. Because the Word of God never passes away, right? We know that to be true. And there's a tribe, I can't even imagine this. There's a tribe in our our world, right, in the Philippines, where the Bible's been translated and copies need to be made so that they can have one copy. One copy. One copy. How many copies do you have? You ever thought about that? How many copies do you have of God's word on your shelf? 
in my office alone, I may have 10 to 12 Bibles. And in my lifetime, I've given out plenty of Bibles. But can you imagine sitting in a place waiting for one copy of God's Word? But that's what's happening. And so as I was made aware of that, I was like, Lord, that's a great example of what it means to store up treasures in heaven. Right? That, that, that's what it is. And we have an opportunity here to be a part of that. I encourage you to pray about that. Bob and Judy Ambrosius are wonderful missionaries who love the Lord, who spend their lives literally watching God work through this tribe to be, bring people to salvation. But to be able to have God's word for them would be a treasure, right? And for us, it would be a treasure if we invested in that. I just want to encourage you in that. I'm not begging for money. I'm asking you to pray about that, right? In terms of where is our treasure? That's a wonderful example of that issue that Jesus is talking about. He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so in verse 19, you have him talking about things of loss, things that lose value, things that are stolen. But in verse 20, he's talking about things that are eternal. They're not temporary, right? So I want you to take that thought and I want you to go with me back to the book of Colossians where he talks about this issue further, the Apostle Paul does. Chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about this issue of things in the heavenly places. And he gives some pretty strong instruction to these believers in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. He says, if then, and that is the idea of since. Since then you have been raised up with Christ. Not if, like hope so, but since you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above. What are the things above? What do you think about when you think about the things above? Holiness. What else? Things above, right? He says, he tells them in that verse 2, he says, set your mind on the things above. What are these things? His presence, his holiness. What else? Eternity. Now, think about that. Eternity. Something, right, in terms of being in it. We, we don't know what that's going to be. All we have is what the Word tells us. But, but we're not there, right? If we're in Christ, we have eternal life. And that starts at the moment of salvation. But we're not in the presence of the Lord right now. Right? That's yet to come. But when you think about what Jesus is doing with his disciples in 6, 19, and 20, he's contrasting the things on the earth with the things above, with the things that last. All right? So we have holiness, right? We have eternity. Vaughn, what did you say? God's presence. Worship. 
What else? Do what? A place that's been built for us. Is that it? What else? Making Christ known. That's what lasts. All right, what else? Anybody? The souls of men. Listen, guys, the enemy is brilliant. We don't ever need to underestimate the enemy. The Lord wants his people to set their minds, and that word set means to fix or to concentrate. It's like if you fix or concentrate on something that you're watching, right? And and you're watching something and there are people around you and, and, and it's difficult to concentrate because there's all this commotion, but you are fixed on whatever it is you're watching, right? When I'm watching a football game, specifically Dallas or Arkansas, or if I'm watching the Boston Celtics, I don't want anybody around me. I want to concentrate on that. That's the idea of the word. It means to fix or concentrate one's mind on. And notice what Paul says in verse 2, set your mind, fix your mind, concentrate your mind on the things above. And then he says what? Not on the things that are on the earth. Man, there's 168 hours in a week, right? Think about just this simple illustration. How many hours in a week is my mind fixed on things that don't last? Uh, and I know some of it we have to do, right? That's just, it's just responsibility. But when you think about the fact that, that we are accountable for all the hours that the Lord gives us, and I'll just talk about my life, it could be said that I need to fix more of my attention or concentrate more on eternal things. What about your life? Right? That's something to consider. I mean, Paul is not asking them if they want to do this. Verse 2 is a command. And so if you back up to verse 1, he says, Since then you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, that's the focus. Seated at the right hand of God. Mission accomplished. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Why? He even gives you the reason why. Why should we set our mind on the things above? Verse 3 tells you, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have what? What does it say? You've what? Died. You say, what in the world does that mean? Glad you asked. Go back to Galatians, right? A couple of books back. To Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells us about that. Because Paul in this Colossians passage says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He elaborates on that thought in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. When he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer, what? 
Oh my goodness. Let's read that a couple times. It is no longer I who live. Let's read it together. It is no longer I who live. I don't like that. Man, my flesh doesn't like that. What do you mean it's no longer I who live? That's a strange language, isn't it? Guys, but we are different if we're in Christ. We belong to Him. He owns us. It is not our life anymore. It is His life. Notice, Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Guys, listen. There's the difference right there between the pagan and the believer. Because the pagan, the one who is without Christ lives for himself and himself only. That's true. But for the believer, it's different. And Paul makes that contrast. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That means if Christ lives in me, then my mind is different. And my values are different. And my treasures are different. I have a whole set of new to consider that I've never had before. Do you see it? Because the old man, right, he, he's about himself and about his flesh and about satisfying only himself. But the new has something else to consider. Uh-oh. I mean, have you ever considered that specific? You might know that verse. But have you ever really truly considered the fact that it is no longer you that lives, but it is Christ living through you? And if there's one thing that the church needs to learn a little bit of today, it's humility. Christ is the one living through us and doing those things. Right? It's not us. Because left up to myself, I want to please myself. It's Christ living through me. And that's exactly what Paul says. But Christ lives in me, he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith. faith. So I thought I was done with that faith thing when I got saved. No. It's like grace. You remember that message I preached a few weeks ago on grace? It's not just saving grace, but I live daily by grace. It's not just saving faith, but every single day, faith is right here. I have to consider it. That's exactly what Paul's saying. I live by faith in the Son of God. It's Him. Oh, this is a beautiful picture. I live by what? I live by faith in who? In Him. In the Son of God. He's the one I'm looking to. I'm trusting. So if I trust Him and I'm living by faith, it means this. In my life translated, it means then I value the things that He values. And so when we talk about the souls of men, man, we value the souls of men. We want to see men and women come to Christ. But you know, if you want to see women, men and women come to Christ, you have to love them more than you love yourself. And that's a problem. Any of you agree with me that's a problem? problem 
Because I know this, in my flesh, I can wake up every day and I can look and go, yep, that's Thad. And who do we want to please today? Thad, yep, that sounds good. And no one's ever arguing with me. And guys, if, if we say that's not a battle or a struggle, we're deceiving ourselves. Truth. So if I'm truly interested in the souls of men, then I need to do what the Lord tells me to do. And I need to love them. I need to follow his example. When he saw the multitudes, Matthew tells us what? He had compassion. He was moved. Let's be honest. The way we're moved in our world when we're out driving is get out of my way. (laughs) Right? I own the road. I'm the man. You get out of my way. It's all about me. Paul tells these believers, he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now notice this, who loved, now look at that, that's past tense. Who loved me. I really like that. Can I tell you why I like that? Because he loved me in my wretchedness. Right? He loved me in my wretchedness. Before I had the righteousness of Christ covering me. He loved me. And he loved you. And the world goes, oh, that just couldn't be. But it is. It's called grace. He loved me. Right? And you're like, yeah, but boy, Thad, I mean, you're, you're looking, I mean, come on. He loved you? Yeah, he loved me. The Bible says he loved me so much, he went to the cross and he died for me. Well, that's exactly what the last part of that verse says. Who loved me and delivered himself up for me. You ever thought about the agony of the cross? Right, Because that's the picture of love. He loved me so much, he went to the cross. Have you ever considered what the greatest agony was for the Lord on the cross? Yeah, the nails were rough. The beatings were rough. The crown of thorns was rough. The sword in his side was rough. But the separation from his father, that's the roughest. Before that, never. But then there was separation. And that's why he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) And, and, And I can't help but think of the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He saved a wretch like me. A wretch like you. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll be done in just a second. Matthew chapter 6.
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy. So he tells you not to do it and he tells you why not to do it. Where thieves break in and steal, he tells his disciples, but lay up for yourselves, store up for yourselves. Put the time and the energy and the efforts of your life to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's exactly what he's telling them. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure? What do you value the most in your life? What is it for you and what is it for me? Go back to that passage in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we read earlier, this parable where the Lord Jesus is telling his disciples that life is more than material things. This is a wonderful illustration that he gives to them. Luke chapter 12, and we'll close with this and one illustration. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years to come. In other words, man, I can take it easy. And that's exactly what he says. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And John Piper wrote a book years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. Any of you ever read that book? And he uses the illustration of a couple who saved all their money, all their, you know, they worked and they worked and they worked and they worked to the point where they could retire and they, and they just stored it all up so they could go to Florida and they could retire. And that's it. That's the end of that story. Yeah, but that's the American dream. But that's the end of the story. That's it. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? That's all. So Teresa and I worked for 30 years and, and we store it all up and we go to Florida, we move and that's it. And Lord, by the way, that's the memo, I'm done. The believer needs to be much different from the unbeliever. The unbeliever is going to store up treasures on the earth. And they're going to live so they can retire. But I got some great news for you as believers. We can have all those things and we can give them away for the work of the Lord. And that's the greatest thing we can do, right? But we can never retire. We haven't been given permission to retire. Isn't that wonderful? That you're useful to God until he comes for you? So our mind's completely different. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that we have the mind of Christ. And so the mind of Christ is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us when he says in 2 Timothy that he finished the course. 
right? It's not like, hey, I'm running until I'm 70 and I'm done. But I'm running until God comes for me. That's, that's the mindset of the believer. And so as we read this, we think about the contrast because the world is so much like this. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. We hate to be this crass, but God said it, right? If all you're living for is the wealth of the world and material possessions, you're a fool. That sounds crass, but he's just being honest, right? You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? In other words, you've had all this stuff, and you've got it all stored up, and you're gone, and now who else gets it, right? Those that come behind you, and those that come behind you are going, hey, thanks for storing all that stuff up. Notice what he says in verse 21. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich Toward who? God. Guys, can I tell you something? If you don't have two nickels to your name and you belong to Christ, you're very wealthy. And I want to close with this passage. I thought, well, I could give him an illustration. This is my illustration. I want you to stand as we read this. Ephesians chapter 1. Here are the riches. These are the things that we should set our minds upon. These are the riches. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Wow. Just as he chose us. He did. He chose us in Him. When? Before the foundation of the world. Wow, wow. Uh, Well, I wasn't around then. Neither were you, right? Before the foundation of the world, that we should do what? Be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons. It's hard to imagine that, right? That I'm a son. I'm one of His as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now look at this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Can I just comment on this? I was thinking about this last week, Psalm 32. Do you know Psalm 32? Where David's right, his bones are aching because of the sin there. And, and he so much desires the forgiveness of the Lord. Can I tell you something? If you have forgiveness, you're blessed. Right? I'm a blessed man. I have forgiveness. Notice he says, the tre- forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his what? His grace. Guys, we don't earn forgiveness. That's how it's taught in our culture, though. 
Look at this. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. It's, it's, it's overflowing. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed to him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Ooh, who doesn't like that? I like that. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now that's a lot of blessing. But can I give you a little more right here? Look at this. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, that means, guys, that we walk around with something that the unbeliever needs. They need to hear the truth. Not the watered-down gospel that's out there, but the truth. The gospel of your salvation. Look at this. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I've got some great news on your eternal blessing. Here it is. You were sealed in him. That's a permanent seal. Can't scrub it off. Guys, listen. Salvation is a gift from God. It's from Him. And the Bible says that salvation, I was sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. And the picture there is of a Roman seal, right? That they would use to, to stamp formal letters, right? Things that mattered. And... This matters because we've been sealed in him, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice this, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, a guarantee. A guarantee? What was that commercial? I don't remember who said it, but it just went across my mind. Satisfaction guarantee, right? Hey, guys, listen. This is satisfaction guaranteed. That those of us who are in Christ get to be in the presence of Christ for an eternity. He says, who is given as a pledge, as a guarantor of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Where's your treasure? What do you value the most in your life? Let's pray together. Lord, so... There's a lot to consider here. There are many passages that speak to the issues of stewardship, the issues of finances, the issues of possessions. We can certainly say this. Your mind is different from the mind of the world. And Lord, you want us to follow your path. And I just pray, my prayer is that the Spirit of God would help us to consider where our heart is. Are we laying up and storing up possessions and things that are simply going to burn? Or are we putting our time and our energies 
and our resources into the things that last. God, can I ask you that you would provide for the tribe in the Philippines to be able to receive your word. They need your word. Help us to be a part of that. Help us to be a part of spreading that news. (laughs) It's an internal investment. Can't go wrong. And I pray from the smallest of children here at Grace to the oldest person that you would put on our hearts and our minds to give to this wonderful project because it has eternal value. And Lord, your word tells us that your word does not return void. And so I pray that we would have the mind of eternity and the things that last. May your spirit be the one that directs us and points us to these things so that we might, at the end of each day, be able to say, today, while I had to do some earthly things in terms of work and such, but today, even in the midst of all that, was about eternity and about your gospel. So help us. We need your help. We thank you for the Spirit of God that resides in us, that helps us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I heard this song a few weeks ago, and uh, it really just began to speak to me. Um, uh, it really just beautifully captures, really humbly, uh, the heart of Christ. It's an invitation. And as Thad was preaching, I was thinking, you know, if, he talked about it, the souls of men. If we're going to have... Uh, our, our view towards things above and our heart set on things above, then we have to have the heart of Christ. And we have to be concerned about the things he's concerned about. That's part of it. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, this song's definitely for you. Listen to the words. But if you are here this morning and you do know the Lord, uh, I encourage you, the thing that really ministered me as I thought about this song and listened to it over and over, over was, was thinking about people that I would love to come and, and know the Lord. To come to the table and know the Lord. So if you have people in your life, I'm, I'm sure everyone here does, if you're a Christian, that don't know the Lord and you would love to see them. We, we talked about Bubba and that experience. But if you have somebody that is on your heart, think about them as we sing this song and maybe it will be an encouragement to you to, to stay in the fight. Beside the same 
Set free, come to the table.